Welcome to Bickering Peaks, the Twin Peaks podcast hosted by just you <laughs> and I. You can't see it, but she was staring right in my I eyes. I was, I was. I serenaded him. Uh, well, yeah, in comparison, mine is, is far <laughs> less uh, melodic for sure. Uh, mine is the Welcome to Bickering Peaks uh, podcast devoted to uncovering the mysteries of just when all of these things are mm. happening. That is really becoming a preoccupation of mine as we yeah. watch more. Is it is. Seriously, scenes. he stays up all night. He's, he's got like graphs and charts. And I don't. I, I want to have all the graphs. <laughs> I want to have time to just build a master chart of every scene. He's like Charlie in It's Always yes. Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes. You know that's the, the, yeah. that episode. That, that, yeah, and that famous. Uh, you know, it's a, a meme now. That's me. That's half of the internet, I'm convinced, for uh, Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we are, uh, ready to talk about part 13. What story is that, Charlie? What story is that, Charlie? <sighs> that was an interesting scene. It was. Unfortunately, it's at the end, so we'll talk about it mm-hmm. later. There's so much in between. Uh, what were your initial thoughts on this episode as we watched it? Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh-huh. I, I, almost every scene, I was just like, what's going on? What is this? What's yeah. happening? Uh, there were a few downloads. Um, the Coop or Dougie storyline is still a little weak for me. You know, I just I feel like everything's just coming up Dougie. So mm-hmm. there's no real tension there because... Right. You know he's not going to – nothing bad is going to happen to Dougie. It's kind of taken that all away. And uh, as much as I enjoyed the uh, switcheroo on Anthony's character this this episode, um, it felt a little – it felt a little clumsy. It didn't. It didn't feel as earned as some of the other character movements that we've seen. Um, but it was okay. Um, they, they, this episode definitely did have its own feel, especially when you got to the Twin Peaks half, last third or so. You saw these characters that we've come to know and love, and they're all in these kind of depressing states. That was a little hard to to watch, but it did give that episode a, a kind of lonely, sad feeling to it. Um, even though there was quite a bit of action in the in the first half, really. So, yeah, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, it was definitely a unique episode. And I think the uh, we've talked about the Rancho Rosa colors at the start of every yes. episode. Uh, this one was green. I don't think we'd seen green before. I don't before. think we have seen a green. And it felt like a green episode. I feel like David Lynch is just like, you know, this is a black episode. This is a black and white. This is a red. This is a red and black. You know, whatever it is, he just, he says, that's the feel of the hmm. episode. And it seems to match up with... How I interpret it, I have to say. So interesting. What about you? What were your thoughts? Uh, well, I I did enjoy it a lot. I thought it was a major improvement on the kind of stagnant feel that the last couple episodes have had. Um, really? Stagnant part eleven. Well, part yeah, twelve some, for sure. Some some parts of it just felt like there wasn't enough movement. I was mm. expecting more movement. And here we didn't get more movement, but I feel like it was just more dynamic in a way. Um, maybe that's because there were so many so many different stories that we were seeing mm-hmm. parts of. And I really liked all the Twin Peaks. Uh, like seeing Nadine, seeing Big Ed finally, yeah. um, seeing James, a uh, little bit of Shelley. It felt, this felt way more like an original OG Twin Peaks, right? Like it, it really did feel um, in, okay. a, in a certain way like an updated, like nostalgia yeah. version. 
Okay. Modernist. I, I don't know how to describe yeah, it, yeah, but yeah. that's yeah, how I kind of yeah. went to bed thinking that's that's how I'm going to describe it. But I realize now, like, I think there's some there's some really dark, ominous stuff that's floating over top. And I know mm-hmm. you said that you weren't crazy about the Dougie stuff and how everything's coming up Dougie and there's no tension. But I really feel like what's going on with we haven't seen the, the last of Duncan Todd and the Anthony storyline I don't think that's over yet, no. and I think it's going to be focused on Sonny Jim and Janie E. I really have a, a really ugly feeling about that, just based on what we saw this episode. Yeah. Um, and that left me really, really uneasy. I think we, we posted it last night on our on our Twitter that, um, yeah, everybody's going to be talking about Audrey, and they're going to be talking about Big Ed and Norma and all these you know, big, pivotal moments that we've seen with these characters that we've hardly heard from. But what the hell was going on with Dougie... Or with Sunny Jim's gym set, yeah. I mean, like that—that that really did scare me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, same with the the line in in Audrey's scene about uh, ending your story. Yeah, yeah. There's some ominous. There's lines some really there, yes. ominous well, shit going on. Yeah, and there's there's new mysteries again being added at this mm-hmm. point in time. The Dutchman, whatever that is, we we have no idea. You know, yeah. there's there's all sorts of things going on. I mean, Audrey's storyline took another huge uh-huh. twist uh, into possibly surrealism possibly mental illness possibly any number of things yeah. and it's not clear mm-hmm. and there's five episodes left <laughs> you know like and then there's also all these weird moments that i mean when you're watching it these long extended sequences that up until this point not a lot has been happening in them but i mean i was i was really focused on big ed scene at the end mm-hmm. the, like the very end credit scene and i didn't know what i was looking for but there was definitely something there that uh, other people have picked up on. So it's making me think about all the other scenes yeah. that maybe we haven't been watching as closely, closely to. Enough, yeah. Even though we say we're going to, um, sometimes you just, your well, mind you drifts yeah, because yeah. it's it's two minutes of someone sweeping the floor. <laughs> but maybe there's some odd reflections going on there too or mm-hmm. glitches because there's a lot of that happening. And that just adds to that ominous, uneasy feeling that yeah. that I had. Yeah. So No, for sure. And yeah, that's a, that's a good summary. <laughs> Starting positions. So we start off Lucky Seven Insurance Company. Yes. There is a Roomba line. Is yeah. that how you pronounce it? I can never sure. remember. Sure, okay. Roomba, Roomba. Roomba, Roomba. Uh, Roomba is the, the robot. Yeah, the robot. Vacuum cleaner thing. Yes. I don't think that's what it is. Okay, so it's a Roomba line <laughs> into the Lucky <laughs> Seven. Conga line. Maybe Conga that's line. what That's thinking. exactly what I was actually yeah, looking for. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. Uh, into the office, and it is the Mitchum Brothers, Candy, Mandy, and Sandy, and... Uh, Dougie Coop. Dougie Coop. And yeah, and it, I love how it's described in the subtitle yeah. song. It's uh, zany, upbeat, percussive music. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And it's uh, somebody has pointed out that it seems or it sounds a lot like a sped up version of one of the Twin Peaks archives percussive tracks. That's yeah, that's, um, that was played in the background of season one and two. And, yeah, yeah, or may not have even made it into it. Um, but it did sound familiar. I'd, I'd heard the song. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it feels before. like it's just you know, if I'm not mistaken, it it was a Grady Tate uh, drum solo that uh-huh, was okay. just. Yeah. A minute and a half long, used as filler, possibly. Okay. Um, but yeah. then over top of it is this weird, like, casino music. It almost yeah. reminded me of, well, initially it reminded me of, like, Super Mario Brothers yeah. music. Yeah. But it could be the music that plays in the slot machines out of yeah. Vegas. Like, it, it felt very yeah. Vegas. It feels, yeah, yeah. And it feels perfectly Mitchum Brothers. Yeah, totally. From what we know about them exactly. now. Exactly, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I went to the exact same. I was like 8 bit video game music. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it has that low, low quality, um, limited range that, yeah. that, that kind of defines a lot of that music. Um, and a lot of other, you know, there's a lot of electronica artists who use that kind of gamut now to 
to kind of have a new and interesting sound. And that's what this instantly reminded me of. It felt fresh, even if it is one of being a recycled piece. But it was really interesting. Um, So they go in, they see Bushnell, and basically they give Bushnell a bunch of gifts. Yeah, they give him a box of cigars. They give him uh, diamond cufflinks and And the the keys keys. to a new car so that he and Dougie will have a matching set. And uh, Bushnell is all excited. He doesn't really seem to look in any of the boxes. He kind of just accepts the the gifts. Yeah. and Candy is adorable in the scene. Oh, like, seriously, man, so we just great. want Amy Shields to be in everything. She's such a delight to watch. I just love so her great. giggle when I she's know. giving the keys. Like, she just can't. She's so excited and yeah. happy. It's just, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. Yeah. So they're all excited, obviously, about the the deal that, that's come through for them. Um, meanwhile, across the hallway, Anthony is watching all of this in sheer terror because yes. he was expecting his Dougie problem to go away. And he calls Duncan Todd and says... Yeah, I don't know what happened. And then Todd gives him a, a, a day yeah. to, to settle it as uh, he instructed, which is to kill uh, Dougie uh, on his own. So yeah. Todd is, or not Todd, uh, Tony is now faced with this ultimatum and he has to go set things in But motion. he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to actually go no, through with it. No, he looks, we find out. yes, he does look quite, uh, yeah, quite scared. I mean, I love his initial, his eyes just went huge when yeah. he sees the, the, the line go through the office. He's just like, what? Dougie's still alive? Like he was just... He could not believe it. And I have to say, Tom Sizemore is doing a fantastic job as Anthony. Yeah, this, this episode. This is really great. And this episode in particular, because up to this point, he'd kind of been playing Tom Sizemore. Sure. <laughs> you know, kind yeah. of a, you know, he's been doing like the jerk ass kind of uh, yeah. tough guy image that, you know, he's really great at. But this episode, he just turns on his yeah. head and he, he does that character turn that, again, we've talked about many times. Now it's Tony's turn. And uh, well, we can talk about that one. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, so the next scene, we go to Lancelot Court and we see uh, something that's been long anticipated, mm-hmm. well, for the last couple of weeks since uh, uh, Cooper first mentioned that Sonny Jim has never had a gym set. Yeah. Or the Mitchell Brothers kind of weaseled it out of him. It, yeah. So a gym set is being, a jungle gym is being delivered to Lancelot Court. Mm-hmm. Uh, Janie has no idea what's going on, but she sees the gym, the jungle gym and then a brand new car in the driveway and she just beams as she yeah. tells him to bring it to the... The backyard, yeah. and uh, it's all delivered from the Silver Mustang Casino. Yep. They do their own installations, I Apparently, guess. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> it's a big operation. And uh, and then we cut immediately at to that evening. Yeah, when they you see the jungle gym all set up, and, and Sunny Jim is just running through it around. and playing in it. Yeah, it's really sweet. It's but it's it's set to the music from Swan Lake, the Dance of the Swans, which um, it seems like such a sad song to be playing. Mm-hmm. It's on it's on like a music box too. It's yep. not piano it's no not it's not a huge orchestra or anything it's yeah. just a little music box so it's um this was what really unsettled me i don't know how what did you feel when no, you first watched it the creepiest thing is the spotlights yeah oh yeah why is there a spotlight yeah. in the backyard like did they is that part of a standard gym set i well, don't know i feel so. like it's i think it's it's supposed to be like this is the mitchum brothers idea of what a kid in vegas would want like the shining lights and everything is lit up right it's very like i'm That's surprised true. there wasn't neon signs yeah yeah right? yeah or like flashing lights on every single yeah thing. right yeah, but there's yeah. this big arch that that um Kind of reminded me of a rainbow mm-hmm. or something. We know David Lynch likes his Wizard yes, of Oz. Yes, Wizard of Oz stuff. Yes. So, I mean, somewhere over the rainbow, Sonny Jim's going to play at nighttime in his backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, to have it set to to Swan to a song from Swan Lake. And I thought it was interesting that it was uh, Dance, Dance of the, of the Swans. Swans. Um, so the idea that, that this is David Lynch's swan song mm-hmm. has come up yeah. a lot. And a swan song is like the last thing, the, last the great thing. thing you do, yes. uh, the great big 
song that you sing right before you die, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's mythologically speaking, that's where the swan song came from, right? This idea that swans don't sing or don't do anything until right before they die. Um, to, to kind of put that into context in this scene, it frightens me so much. I mean, ever since the kid got run over by the car back in part five or part. Yeah. Yeah. In the return for sure. Uh, I think this is this Sunny Jim's swan song. He's someone who doesn't hasn't spoken much at all. Yeah, he's completely silent. Is this his swan song? His last big. It could be Dougie's swan song, right? Maybe like, it this could is be his that. last push before he moves on to become hopefully Cooper or something. Or but something I, I, big I'm happens there. I'm nervous about Sunny Jim, and I'm nervous seeing seeing where uh, Duncan Todd's mind seemed to be in mm-hmm. uh, the last scene we saw him in. Yeah. I'm a little nervous. Yes, as am I. For both Janie and Sunny Jim. Yes. And we've wondered about this. Like, what will happen when when Dougie disappears and and, mm-hmm. and fully becomes Cooper? Um, what's going to happen Assuming with Janie? Assuming that happens. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. What but does I think this is, this is like um, Janie is being set up for, she's got a new car. She's got all this money. I don't think she's going to be left wanting. But she's started to fall in love with her husband again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's going to be a devastating moment. And Sunny Jim talking, has a yeah. dad. Yeah, right. Um, so is this, yeah, it, it, either way, it's going to be really sad. It's going to be really hard. I've come to really like these characters. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. In them, yeah. for sure. But I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It, this could be a portent of terrible things to come or it could be nothing. It could also it just be not. a portent for the, the terrible things that come in the next scene, which yes. is uh, transports us to Western Montana, which is a place we have not been we to. We have not gone there. Um, and we see a truck pull up yeah. inside is uh, Mr. C. Yes. Um, and it's in, it's interesting how this this whole sequence is, is outlaid. It starts off with Ray seeing yeah. DC. On walk, a giant TV screen. On a screen. giant screen. Yeah. Like, they can't get cell bigger, phone reception, but, but they've they have, got big you know, ass yeah, like movie screen like, TVs yeah, exactly. in there. And, but it's not a projector. Warehouse? It's an LCD. It's really bizarre. I, I, I do like... I don't know what that's supposed to do, but it it's very kind of unsettling in a way. To it's Lynch these... technology, man. Exactly. It's yeah. just what do we need? We need yeah. a big screen, so let's. We're not going to explain it. We're just going to put it there. Yeah, exactly. Great. Yeah. Uh, and Ray is joined by a guy who we find out his name is Renzo. Yeah. He's the leader of this gang because there's a bunch of tough-looking guys Misfits in this who yes. lost arm wrestling matches, maybe. <laughs> yes, as we find <laughs> out. Um, and so they they kind of say, oh well, we're going to play with Cooper before we kill him. Yeah. So they invite him up. Because yeah. um, he's a, he's here looking for Ray. Yeah, he's there. So looking for I'm Ray, I'm guessing this is the farm, and I think in the the credits, one of the characters is listed as the farm accountant. Ah. Uh, so this is the yeah, farm. Yeah. That Ray and Cooper were talking about. Yes, because he knows it's nearby and in Mont- Western Montana, not too far, I guess, from South Dakota. I mean, it's across two or three states, isn't it? Yeah, it's a. It's pretty far. pretty far. Yeah. So Cooper's been driving nonstop. Yeah. Um. But and yeah, it, so it is weird because there is this this accountant looking character. He's, he's a Poindexter. Poindexter. He's got the glasses and he's <laughs> the small tie. and yeah, yeah. he does not look like the the rest the of the tough, characters. Like a street tough. Or yeah. A, and we we whatever. come back to him later on. Yeah. Uh, but for now, yeah. So they they invite him up. They say, okay, here's how it works. Renzo's the leader because he's never lost an arm wrestling match. Yeah. Which is just the most David Lynch. Yeah. Way of running a gang, like like just okay. this basic kindergarten as DC says, way of defining, you know, strength and masculinity, you know, an arm wrestle. It's one Um, step up from, like, the sharks. The sharks and the jets. One step up from the sharks and the jets, you know, doing, like, a tap dance battle or something (laughs) in the streets of New York, right? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Uh, It's so great, though. Um, There's a man named Muddy 
yes. who, who kind of explains how everything works. Like the number two, I guess, yeah. or something. Um, so they invite him in. Uh, they say, okay, well, if, if you beat uh, Renzo, you become our leader. But if you lose, you have to do whatever Renzo says. He's your boss now. Yeah. And if you fail, he'll kill you. Yeah. So they've set up this little dynamic. They invite him in. And Ray's kind of a little perturbed about this whole thing. I think it, I saw a great comment online. They're like, uh, <laughs> Ray, the one idiot who saw a guy get shot, mutilated, ripped up, and had something torn out of him, survive, but he's going to lose an arm wrestle to, yeah, <laughs> to yeah, another yeah, yeah. guy. It's like, yeah. yeah, Ray, you should have seen this coming. But anyways, uh, as they walk into the room, Renzo punches DC in the back of the head. Yeah, I felt like that was kind of like just establishing dominance, yeah. but oh, in, a, totally. in a very like schoolyard bully kind exactly. of way so it fits it with that whole kindergarten nursery school well, thing he says it's from the nurse, nursery school, school teacher. teacher yeah but yeah it's uh it we all know what's gonna happen yes. we know that this guy is not gonna win the arm wrestling match yeah. and and mr c is gonna walk away as the new boss yeah. right but it yeah but it still it still keeps you enthralled in the scene because you want to see how exactly he's gonna kill this guy because you know this guy's dead yeah especially after that punch to the back of the head yeah um and it's just, you know, we get to see how it happens. And how it happens is pretty cool. Um, they, you know, they set up, they have the rules. Muddy gives the rules again. They start it. And Cooper seems like he's going to lose. Of course he's not. And then well, he... what's great is is right before you think this is going to, and everybody is really into it, they're like, finish him off. Yeah, right? yeah. And that's that's a great cacophony yeah. around. Everyone's just screaming. Even like, Ray, like yeah. Ray starts to feel buoyed maybe by this, that well, yeah, he's going to be, gonna actually get he's going to walk away from it. Yeah. But but Mr. C just writes his arm and says starting position. position. And it was the creepiest thing because it's just like there was no effort at all. But what's interesting to me in this is that the way he does it, mm-hmm. he's just repeating words. He yeah. actually sounds like Dougie. Absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say is that it reminds me of like Mr. C has been reset as as like a basic Dougie-fied version of his evil self. But was he was he ever any different? Maybe maybe I mean, that's, that's maybe that's Doppel Cooper. Without Bob. Mm, to the, but I don't know, because I think even from the very first sign we got of, of Dabakoop, which was in the, the end of season two, yeah. I need to brush my teeth. Right, it's right, very right. simple yeah. sentences. There's yeah. no complex thought. Everything's just, you know, uh, a, a kind of Dougie-esque way of looking at the world. Everything's simple and straightforward. Mm-hmm. I don't need anything. I, don't, I want things. And... Um, he, every time he asks questions, you know, there's, there's never any like convoluted, um, yeah, it's very straightforward. Everything, everything everything just follows A to B to C, right? So, but, but this was interesting just in, in the context because we haven't seen this. We, I don't think we've seen this from, from Mr. C in this way yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where he's just repeating Because he does it a couple of times and, and very matter of fact, he's like, my arm hurt when you had it in this position. It really hurt in this position. And he shows It's much more comfortable in this position. Don't you think it's, he's just, he's so rational about it, right? It's, it's frightening in like that cold, rational way that, that evil can be portrayed as. But but you're absolutely right. I think it it really did remind me of like maybe a slightly more sophisticated Dougie. Yeah. Right. Which is interesting because again, one of the early theories that I'd had when we talked about this was that Dougie and Mr. C are two halves, mm-hmm. right? And that you don't get a full Cooper until they're they're They've returned been together. Which you know I don't think holds up very well here but it feels like they both of them are missing something mm-hmm. and so they're reduced to this kind of simplematic simple uh kind of i don't know i don't even know how to describe it just like 
basic interpretation of how to how things work and mm-hmm. how thoughts are formed and right. how you know how they operate in the world is very simple. I have a gun. I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. You know, he asks Here's an arm wrestling questions. match. This yeah. hurts. This doesn't hurt. Let's stay in this position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, he only seems to really get angry when he kind of looks over to the side. I assumed he was looking at Ray. Well, Ray is Ray, there a cut or well, something? There's where you a couple. See Ray? Well, there's a couple times when Ray like wants to jut in and he's uh-huh. maybe even going to pull a gun and shoot Cooper before yeah. he gets the chance to to win. Um, and the first time Renzo holds him back, and then the second time it seems like Cooper's uh, yeah. vision is what holds him back. Like he's telling his new recruits, "Hold him back, please." I'm going to deal with Ray in a minute. Um, And it's well-deserved because what happens after he... First of all, he wins the arm wrestling, smacks the guy's hand down, Renzo's hand. Almost looks like he breaks his arm when he does it. You hear a crunch, too, right? And that's what we thought was going to happen. Like, he's just going to push his arm until he snaps it off or something, right? Um, But But no, he just punches his face. (laughs) And kills him. Like, smashes his skull in with one punch. So, you know, there again, more memes online today of One Punch Coop. You know, Mm -hmm. there's there's a good anime called One Punch Man. And I definitely could see Cooper playing that role up. Um, But then, yeah, after he's decked Renzo, he says, clear the room. Everybody falls in line. They're, they start Instantly, calling yeah. him boss. Yeah. And they give him, they give him all of his cell phones yeah. that he wants, even though he's not going to have reception. And then, the, yeah, they give him the privacy that he needs to, to interrogate. T- interrogate Ray. Right. And, he tries uh, to run. Yeah, like, like an, idiot. an idiot. And he gets shot in the ankle or leg, leg or something. Or something yeah. And Cooper gets, or, or Mr. C gets the information that he needs. He gets the, well, he gets the coordinates. Mm-hmm. He finds out that it is uh, Agent Jeffries or... Um, yeah, uh, Philip Jeffries, at Jeffries, least, yeah, who, or who claims to be yes. pulling the strings. Um, who because Ray never met him. Ray has only talked to him on yeah. the phone. I think we knew that. I think we already heard that that they didn't have any contact with. Yeah, well, he Daria just, mentioned that. Yeah, or something yeah, yeah. Like that. Well, she didn't know who it was even, so she right. didn't even know it was Philip Jeffries at that point. Um. So now, but now we find out that Ray has been talking to him, but doesn't know where he is or who he is actually. Yeah. Um, he also said that the warden, uh, Philip Jeffries set up everything with the warden yes. so that Ray would get out first and get the gun. He also says that the gu- a guard there, right when he was escaping, was gave him the ring. Yes. So he shows the ring to Cooper, which is the Owl Cave ring, yeah. um, and says, I was told to put this on you after I killed you. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if that's why Coop survived, because if he'd, if he'd shot him, put it on instantly, would right. the woodsmen have been able to come and help him that's, or something? Yeah, because obviously uh, Ray had that the entire time, but yeah. we didn't know it until yeah. just now. So if he had been able to do that, and he was stopped by by the fear that kind of kept the woodsmen... Or, he was stopped by the fear that he felt when he saw the woodsman come out mm-hmm. of the woods. So, um, but now that he has it, the fact that uh, Cooper tells him to put it on, on his left hand, middle finger, or uh, ring finger, um, that's important. I don't know why, well, Ray doesn't really have much choice. No, but, he's going to do it. But um, yeah. You know he's going to bite it, right? Yeah, but you don't know what's going to happen after that. Yeah. Um, we find out very soon because, uh, so... He puts the ring on. Mr. C tells him to put the ring on. Ray puts the ring on, and then he asks him where Philip Jeffries is. Well, no. First, he asks for the coordinates, and then right. Ray. And it's an it's kind of a weird little back and forth because Ray says, "You want the coordinates I got from Hastings? Rather, his pretty secretary Betty. Do you really think I'm going to give them to you? You really think you could even trust the numbers I give you?" And then he gives them the numbers. Yeah. On written form. So. Yeah. Why would he do that? Like, it, it seems odd, like, that they would point out the fact that, you know, I you could, could just be, lie to yeah. you. And but you, here it is anyway. No and then giving it to him anyway. Yeah. So maybe Ray gave him fake coordinates. Uh, maybe they're not going to match up with the ones Diane got. Maybe they are going to match up with the ones Diane got. It's really hard to say. Um, 
and you know the timeline of how all this stuff is happening is still kind of confusing mm-hmm. but um that happens and then then he asks him where is philip jeffries asks him twice he says well last i heard he was at the the dutchman's which isn't a real place, but he doesn't place. even get to finish what he was saying before uh, Mr. C shoots him in the head. Yeah. And uh, he says, I know, I know where, where it is. Yeah. So he walks over and he sees that the ring disappears from Ray's finger. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really know what happens until a, a next shot a little bit later on when we see Ray's body in the red room. Yeah. And I'm presuming that it's uh, Philip Gerard yes, it looks putting like the, the ring, ring back, back on the pedestal. pedestal. Um, Meanwhile, while all yeah. this has been happening, we uh, we find out that Ray or um, sorry, we find out that all of the gang that is still surviving yeah. are watching all of this happen on, on the, big the big screen. Yeah. And who else is in the room? Richard. Richard Horn. Yes, walks in. So this is where he's escaped to, presumably. Yeah. Assuming this is all in order. Yeah. Um, and so he's shown up now, and he looks it over, um, and he he has this moment. Uh, when Cooper walks up towards the camera, you know, he has a moment where, you know, my in- initial thing was like, yes, that's my father. That's exactly. I don't my... think he knows it's his dad. No, but Aiden. there's a there's a there's a spiritual connection between the two of them that is obviously because they're father. And son. Well, I think I think it's so obvious at this point that that um, there's a lot of pushback from people who are like, no, it can't be because that's it's too awful to comprehend. Um but I think it's it's impossible to look at this any other way. It's like like ninety percent clear, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. that Mr. C and Richard are related. Mm-hmm. Um, why else would they be setting Richard Horn up as such an important character, mm-hmm. uh, unless he was going to be connected in some way to Cooper's storyline? And the only way he can be connected to Cooper's storyline is through. Audrey and and Mr. C. Well, it seems the most obvious way. Yeah, right. Least, yeah. And and I don't think we have enough time left for there to be too many red herrings being thrown around here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's it's one of those clear. things that's going to be explained or in some way, in some fashion, they're going to get to the end of this story because it's too big mm-hmm. for it not to be that important. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see how it could be anything else. Um, the other one thing to note in this scene is that there is a brief moment right before uh, he... Right before he kills Ray, that there's the accountant's many man, uh, Poindexter, who asks right. Doppel Cooper, "Do you want any money?" Yeah. DC says no. Yeah. And then the guy leaves. But it, I mean, obviously, you're supposed to notice this character. He did, he stands out. Yeah. He's, he's asking. He's talking to Doppel Coop. Right. Um, you know, I have a feeling that his plot line is going to continue. In, well, you in wondered some if way. it was maybe the same guy who was seen in the photo that yeah, just Tammy had yeah, from just he had the glass box. Yeah. seen in new york yeah so um that would be interesting i don't think it is but no. but I, I wondered if they were maybe they knew each other or they had prior i mean obviously well mr c knew about the farm yeah he knew what was there mm-hmm. did he know these people they didn't seem to know who he was no but anyway yeah um he was an interesting character, a very lynching character yes. in that, in a, a kind of a weird yeah. sense. Especially the way he was shot, where he's yeah. just he's standing there in an empty, otherwise empty room. He felt a little bit like the uh, the the evil man from Lost Highway, who's just right. there sometimes yeah. and just standing, looking ominous. Yeah, you know, for a guy in a Poindexter like myself, that's that's hard to pull off. But Lynch oh, can honey, make it work. You're not that much of a Poindexter. Oh, you're right. I'm not an accountant. <laughs> no, but I could you're be. just a government lackey. Yeah, exactly. I'm close. Close enough. 
So anyway, the next scene takes us to Las Vegas. We end up at the police department and we see the Fuscos uh, talking, well, Smiley Fusco, which is his actual name. Yeah. I've been calling him Laughing Laughing, whatever. It works. But anyway, he's talking to who we find out is his mother. Yeah, giving, him, uh, giving her directions on the phone. Um, when he hangs up, he says she wants some, the to brothers to come, come over for Sunday, Sunday dinner. And uh, the both of the men in the room laugh. Both of the Fuscos laugh. And then... We hear a fight off screen in what I'm assuming is the waiting room or something, and it's we didn't know what was being said until we heard the had the subtitles on. But there were uh, a conversation about pissing on the floor, and then somebody had a knife, and it's it sounded like a crazy meth head who's going a little bit snaky and attacking the police. But then at the end, there was somebody who came, somebody else, but it sounded like the same voice who wanted to make a report on a cop. I don't know if you. Yeah, because they just tased her. Is that is that all I'm it was, or was sure, it okay? Yeah. Either way, it 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 seemed to me like com like a commentary on the drug epidemic, as well as police brutality. Maybe I don't know. It, it's a quick scene. It's all off camera. But I think the most interesting part is that as um, the the third brother Fusco comes in. Uh, they don't really seem to acknowledge what's going on. There's like chaos and pandemonium and guns and knives and tasers being shot off in, you know, the next room. And none of them really seem to be affected or care at all about any of this. Well, it's played for laughs. It's because, totally played for laughs. Yeah, because it's an everyday probably occurrence in Vegas. Like, well, and they, they even Vegas say prisons. that, that the, their mom says, come over for dinner if there are no murders this weekend. They, that's, yeah, that's also a point of laughter. Yeah, yeah. it's... Yeah. it's uh, it's, yeah, definitely played for laughs and it's weird. But um, in any case, we, we get some payoff here from the, the fingerprint analysis that uh, D. Fusco brings in from, he, he's got a hit from APHIS, the APHIS database, and found out that uh, Dougie Jones has the same fingerprints as someone who escaped from prison two days earlier, which kind of sets it in uh, a time frame, at least relative to other scenes that we've seen if not a direct date and then um also that he is a missing fbi agent and these three detectives rather than thinking how does this fit how does this work they're like well that's obviously wrong and they crumple up the paper and make bets on who on if d fusco can make it in the basket and that's the end of the scene really it's like that feels like a dead end although you mentioned that this would probably trigger some kind of alert on a database yeah just like it did with uh, major briggs it would notify the authorities that someone has found a matching fingerprints for uh dale cooper so i don't think that's the quite the end of it but right. it'll probably be the end of their looking into it um next we get uh tony arriving to look for detective clark which yes. is the one that he's been uh using and working with to i think defraud. that was the name that we had on on those sheets yeah. way back in part five i think yeah so it's now we get to meet this detective clark yeah. uh, tony's there to ask him for a poison mm -hmm. that he can use to kill uh dougie and he gets it they call it incontinine incontinine Aconitine. sure yeah uh, I hope it's not real. <laughs> but <laughs> It sounds pretty uh, awful. It sounds yeah. like the kind of thing that's new on the scene. They yeah. don't really have a trace on it, but it'll work. It'll give you about a two-hour window from the point where you dump it in and then you can leave. Yeah. And he's like, just the Detective Clark is very dismissive of yeah. Anthony. And well, so it's and just I, like and a... I, and I like this because it's, it's setting up his character as a weak-willed. Yeah. Whereas before he'd kind of, you know, in our one scene that was really 
kind of strong for him was uh, the boardroom scene when he called Dougie out after being called a yeah, liar. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was very aggressive and kind of, uh, you know, take charge kind of guy. But here you're getting some second pair person characterization saying like no you're a weak little coward well and that's what's i think is interesting about all of this is that it's it's these characters especially the male characters i think only the male characters because really they're the bulk of the cast at this point um are being set up in relation to one another so you're an alpha if you're in a room full of betas but as soon as you're met with someone who's a little bit above you and we've seen this with richard and red versus richard and the the women in the bar um all of a sudden you're you know, low on the totem pole and you've got to, you know, show reverence to the guy above you. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's saying something about the the way that men relate to one another. It's always in terms of power dynamics. So yeah. if if Anthony is with Dougie, he's above Dougie, so he can talk down to him and be a jerk. But as soon as he's with a guy who's his equal or better, he's, you know... He's worthless, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's how it is. Is that I'm really honest. how it is? Yeah, yeah. You ever get three alpha male personalities in a room? It gets ugly pretty quick. Hmm. I mean, usually it's there's a lot more violence. But anyways, um, yeah, and so uh, Detective Clark also has his partners nearby, comes over afterwards, and obviously he knows who Tony is and everything, uh, tells him that Tony's looking for poison, he's going to kill somebody. And the partner then says, okay, well, I'm going to let Todd know. So obviously mm. they're all in this together. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that Todd wouldn't have told the detectives as well, perhaps, that there's this problem guy named Dougie Jones. Can you maybe look at taking well, care of him or something? I wondered about that too, because in a later scene when we, we kind of get a, a little bit of a hint at the hierarchy of whatever organization it is. It sounds like Duncan Todd is at the top, but the two detectives seem like scarier figures than Duncan Todd yeah. is. So I don't really know exactly how that works. Yeah. How everything's going. But, um, but yeah, I, I mean, cops are involved with anything. Maybe they, maybe that's the scary part is that they can, they have more power than yeah. you know. Oh yeah, well they have a lot of power, right? Yeah, they're, they're cops, right? So yeah, that will that will definitely also come up later on. Um, a quick scene on the highway heading yeah. through Utah. Uh, Chantel and Hutch <laughs> talk about Mormons, uh, coffee and sex <laughs> and everything. It's it's like hitting all the stereotypical uh, beats of whenever you have a conversation about Mormons. Mormons this yeah, is, these like, are they the can't things. drink caffeine or alcohol and no they, sex before marriage yeah but you know polygamy <laughs> which are uh, which is not true i mean we know well, not, a lot of mormons it's yes. not it's like the fundamentalist mormons yes they still do yes. believe in the the polygamy plural stuff, marriage but, yes. but uh standard everyday mormons not so much yeah not so much so it's, it's just yeah it's <laughs> it, I think it's what you expect like, from chantel and Hatch. exactly yeah, yeah. and it's i i think it's more just to locate them in the in the country again, yes exactly rather than than provide any other like, I don't think we're going to see a lot of Mormons in this show. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is going to be a major plot point. It's more just for comedy. But it, but it looks like perhaps then they'd be heading to California as opposed to the Northwest. Or Las Vegas, maybe. Yeah, it could be. They could be going um, to Las Vegas as well. All we know is that they're outside of Provo. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, without knowing too much about the geography of yeah, Utah. Did he, did he tell them to go to Vegas to get ready to kill Dougie? I think, I think he, that might have been might, That might be what they're, what they're doing because he said there, was, there were there might uh, be a job two and... more. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I just I forgot think about that's that. That's what it was. Yeah, so. so it could be that this is the next stop. They're yeah. going from South Dakota down to yeah. Las Vegas to continue their work, or to to take out Dougie. Yeah, that would be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the next day, uh, the next scene is the next day. Uh, it's Dougie getting dropped off at work again in the yep. brand new convertible. Janie yep. and Janie's 
face is just she's so enamored with her husband now she's she loves him even if she has to open the door and shut him out and close the door such a different difference from the last time when when she was in the suv and she's huffing and puffing to push him out the door Mm -hmm. this is like I hate to say it's it's materialistic, but it kind of feels materialistic. Oh, it's hugely materialistic. She's a very materialistic woman, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, she may do without for the longest mm-hmm. time, um, but now that she has it, she's she's happier. And, you know, if you had a brand new car and $300,000 extra in the bank, you might be a little bit happier, too, and a right. better sex life, perhaps. Yeah, you right. know? So, I mean, it's understandable, but, uh, yeah, it feels a little, I don't know, a little shallow. Yeah. You know? But, it's again, it's Vegas. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Let's just alienate everybody who lives in Vegas. No, but who now... I mean, this has been, uh, you know, a send up of Vegas the whole time. You know, Dougie is living the ve- the typical Vegas life. Yeah. Right. So it's 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 worth noting. Um, and again, I just love this is one scene where I notice it, but all of Dougie scenes are great. But um, just the way uh, Kyle McLaughlin is playing him and the way he blinks his eyes mm. when he's getting out of the car or just sitting. It's it's a slow, deliberate blink. Yeah. Um, his movements are just, they match that exactly. It is all physical, but you can tell that there's not much going on underneath right. Dougie Jones either. Um, and I just love it. I, I, you know, this is just another reminder of the, the gamut that Kyle McLaughlin is able to, to put into these characters that he's playing. The gamut? Yeah. The wide range, the, the, the breadth, the, the huge scope of differences that he's been able to put into all these different characters. I, I love it. So he goes and walks into the office, uh, literally into the office door. Um, in a in a hilarious scene, you could see coming from a mile away, but made us laugh yeah. each time we watched Both it. Both times we watched it, um, and it literally did. Like you can see a spot on the on the door where he literally hit his head on the door. So it's it's pretty <laughs> commitment to the <laughs> yeah yeah that's acting right. Yeah. Um, and Anthony's watching this whole thing, and and for the first time, he seems kind of taken aback by by the weirdness of Dougie not being able to function in front of a glass door. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also seems like he has maybe some reservations about what he's about to do. Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't uh, yeah, seem, it's, hard to tell. it's, it doesn't seem like it's happened yet, but as, as somebody opens the door for Dougie and ushers him in and uh, Anthony interrupts him and takes him over for coffee. And of course that makes, it's the only thing that makes Dougie's eyes light up mm-hmm. is the mention of the word coffee. So Anthony treats his colleague to coffee and, Dougie gets this, uh, I don't know if he sees it or smells it or knows it, remembers it from previous days, but uh, he beelines to the pastry counter and starts drooling over a slice of cherry pie. And it provides the perfect opportunity for Tony to put the poison into Dougie's coffee. So when Dougie gets uh, the attention of the waitress, she says she'll bring over the pie and he should go enjoy his coffee. And he walks over back to the table after Tony has put the poison in his coffee. And he notices that Tony has um, dandruff. Yeah. When I first saw it, I wondered if maybe it was some of the poison itself yeah, or, or something. something. Yeah, yeah, because Tony didn't seem to be moving too much. He was yeah. like, I thought maybe yeah, he might he have accidentally frozen. poisoned himself yeah, or, yeah. or something. And he was frozen in fear. Yeah. But um, but no, I think it, I think it is just dandruff, and and it's something that um, kind of it it like Cooper is is focused on it. He he hones in on it. Maybe it's because it's a novel thing. Maybe it's because it reminds him of uh, the cocaine that he's yeah. you know from season one and two of Twin Peaks. It's sure. something that reminds yeah, him of his notice, previous yeah. life. That was something that one of our Twitter followers brought up. Uh, it, it could be any number of things, but in either case, he touches Tony's shoulders. 
And I love that this scene, when I first watched it, I'm like, oh, Anthony is getting a massage. He kind of likes it. But then when I watched it the second time, I got this this feeling of like, it it would almost it almost seems like Tony is bristling at the physical contact. Like, heterosexual males don't touch each other. I don't know if you got that that vibe yeah. or, or what from no, it. No, it's it's a weird vibe. I didn't I still don't understand how him touching him on the shoulders in any way relates to Tony breaking down and admitting that, you know, and changing his the whole course of his life and his character. Yeah. I it does not really compute for me. I mean, I think it's just like an internal you like, know, here's this, this guy who's nice enough to, you know... Yeah, give me a little massage. Or, like, physical contact is something that... Yeah. Or I wondered if maybe it was it was that he was waiting for him to confess it. Or waiting for him to, you know, admit that he'd done something wrong. I think it was, it was like you said, like, an internal thing. Like, his guilty conscience coming out to the fore. And, yeah. And it would have taken... It didn't matter what Dougie did next. He would have cracked and... Well, it, it could be also seen as a threatening thing. Because in the next scene, uh, skipping ahead a little bit, but uh, Tony says Dougie saw right through him when he was right. trying to poison him. So yeah. did he maybe come up and he thought, like, oh, what are you doing, Tony? Right, and he's right. like, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. Right, right, right. You won't get me, Kappa. But then he admits, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I did it. And then he, he runs away. Like, right. it's... And again, that's the thing. There's a bit of ambiguity there. And this is the part that I didn't feel great about. Um, Tom Sizemore did a great job of portraying this, like, conflict, conflict inside him uh, of, do I poison this man who's really hasn't done anything wrong, has just, you know, been a problem, a thorn in my side. Um, You know, and he he eventually decides, no, I can't do this. Um, But the Dougie's interaction with that internal conflict doesn't really come across as clear to me. And I think it's just because well, it's never... Dougie has such a limited range yeah. that it's, it relies on the other actors to kind of fill in the gaps of how he's doing And that's, doing what, it, that. that's what I think it is. It's, it's, it's something that was brought up back when Dougie first appeared with the co- the first time he had coffee that morning. Mm. Um, it seems like every interaction that, that Dougie has with someone reveals something about their internal state that, or, or helps them in some, in some private way that only is interpreted through that character in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Even going back maybe to the very first scene in the casino, right, with the woman that he eventually, we find out, helps bring her out of poverty and, mm-hmm. and restores her to her previous life. Um, it seems like it's not Dougie doing anything. Dougie can't do anything. Yeah. Dougie is just Literally a reactionary cannot. character. Yeah. Um or, or not even a reactionary character. No, he he's, just he's acts. A placid and, figure. Yeah. yeah, like he, he's, he's nothing. He's, he's a blank slate almost, right? Um, so it's up to the individual characters that he interacts with to provide meaning to the things that he is doing. So it's really revealing of their own internal states. It's not, it's not that Dougie is in any way suspicious of Anthony in that moment. Although maybe he is. There, there didn't really seem to be. It didn't seem clear to me in that sense. Yeah. It was way more indicative of this was a seismic shift for Tony mm-hmm. as a character to go from being the bad guy to the good guy. Or it was a seismic shift for Janie to go from being the shrewish wife to the loving wife. Or for the the Mitchum brothers to go mm-hmm. from being the bad monsters to monsters. his best friend, <laughs> right? But it's all based on on their interactions and their interpretations of what they think Dougie represents to mm. them. And so in that sense, he's kind of this, he's almost like an angel figure or something yeah. who comes into these people's lives and changes them for the better. So, but yeah. entirely, entirely dependent on what their interpretation of his actions are. 
Which is really interesting for, is, for a yeah. hero to be such a passive figure, yeah. to be having all these positive effects without actually doing anything. Because yeah. he hasn't done anything. Yeah. It's it's so bold. I think it's it's really something that I, I'm, I've never seen before on TV. And it's I, I don't know how it's going to play off. Yeah, in the long around. run. Yeah. Or, you know, people are talking Emmys for Kyle MacLachlan. Um, yeah, he's playing so many different characters. Yeah. Like you almost need to nominate him more than once for, for each character because it's sometimes it's so easy to forget that this is the same guy who's playing Double Mr. Trip, C. Yeah. But um, but it's it is like a, a fascinating way to have your hero act yeah. and react. So the next scene we go to is at the Double R. Yeah, uh, it's a very brief one. Shelley gets a phone call uh, mm-hmm. from Becky mm-hmm. complaining that she hasn't seen Stephen in two days and nights. Yep. Um, and that there must be something wrong. And Shelley kind of brushes her off um, before inviting her over, saying, no, come come down to the diner. I'll give you some, some pie and, yeah. and ice cream and everything. Um, and then Becky says, okay, I'll be right there. And it's interesting more because, you know, this doesn't line up with what we saw two episodes ago or whenever the one was with uh, Bobby in the... Yes. The creature in the in the car and everything. Well, right? where where Becky confronts Stephen yes, and Stephen. Gersten Hayward yeah. in uh, her sleazy apartment, that situation that they were yeah. in, right? Yeah. So presumably, the, this one makes more sense if that if this scene has actually happened before that scene, right? Um, if this is two days before or a day before or something like that, um, and there are other scenes that we'll see right away that also seem to indicate that this is being shown out of order. Yeah. Because um, yeah, if. Shelly was this worried that her daughter just tried to kill someone. She wouldn't say she, she would would brush, brush it off. off. Yeah, yeah, saying, oh, well, there's hungry customers. Yeah. Like, no, she would make time well, and, for it. Well, and Becky wouldn't probably wouldn't be that concerned about Stephen. Yeah. And she would be, or she'd be more worried if he was missing still or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I just think, like, there's, this is going to be the episode that there's so many moments like this that that it's so hard to to... It's so hard to view this as being in linear order at this yeah. point. Yeah. These scenes are being shot out of order. Um, are they shown out of or order? Show, yeah. Sorry. Yes, they're being shown out of order. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something we've 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 asked John about. Uh, he'll hopefully get us um, an illuminating answer yes, when, I hope so. when we get there. But, um, but it makes me wonder, it makes you wonder what the reason behind all this is. Why are they doing this? And, and people have been wondering if it's just for... Um, like thematic hitting emotional marks if this is mm. just because this is the emotion that David Lynch wanted to portray so that's where this scene would go yeah and it didn't have any larger overarching meaning or if they're being shown out of order because of something important that we haven't yet been shown mm-hmm. so I think that's uh still up in the air but yeah. I'm leaning more towards this being vitally important for reasons that we'll get into at the end what do you think no I, I tend to think it's it's just the feel I think he he in one of the interviews he said you know some of the writing you know the scenes were cut up and and storylines were picked up at different times part of that was how they originally wrote it and some Mm -hmm. of it he discovered in the editing process so i feel like it is a bit of both um but it's definitely just the way the episodes do have a distinct feel every time sure um i think it's something that he's curated by the choice of which scenes he shows when and if it's not going to dramatically change your understanding of what's coming Mm -hmm. Why not show you the last scene first? You know, if, if you okay. can still do that, then, you know, why not have Hawk walk through the woods? Absolutely. The... And and I think that, that there, you're absolutely right that that is some of the cases and some of the instances. Like, for example, last in part 12, um, the scene with Sunny Jim and Dougie playing catch. Clearly that didn't happen 
chronologically. It well, happened at some point before. Have. No, because he hadn't hadn't come home yet. He he wasn't it. Oh yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, like there was a two gone, day yeah. or a day period where he he didn't come home yeah. because he was hanging out with the Mitchums still. Yeah. So that couldn't have happened in, in that between those that, two, yeah. that space. So it happened before that or it happened after okay. that. But it doesn't really seem to have any bearing on it. It literally was put into that that part to show a different father son bond mm-hmm. that's happening in that part. Yeah. So for that case, I do absolutely believe that it's it's thematically or emotionally resonant. But a scene like this or a scene like Hawk finding Glastonbury Grove, that's important. That seems like it's vital to our understanding of what's going on. And because we've already seen so much with Becky and Stephen and we've had so much drama surrounding that family relationship there, showing this out of order must be for a reason. And I think it I, I think that there's a mix of both, absolutely, but I'm leaning more towards on this well, end and, and that it's, it's gonna be and it's interesting important. We've been trying to piece together how the timelines work across these different stories between Twin Peaks, right, uh Doppelcoop and Dougie. Um, the main three storylines, really, mm-hmm. um, and figuring out, you know, even in Twin Peaks, is the, you know, is the drug storyline and Richard's storyline happening at the same time as the investigation into uh, Laura? And what about uh, Bobby and uh, Major Briggs and all that stuff yeah. that's happening? Is that all happening at the same time? You know, there's still there seems a connection state uh, there. This episode, for instance, they did say. Uh, he's a missing FBI agent who escaped prison two days ago right. in Las Vegas, therefore connect, giving a, a rough timeline connection between uh, DC and Dougie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for, for the larger series overall, um, I think there's, I think there's just, there's just a lot of willy nilly room that he has to work with here. Sure. I think he's just using it uh, as, as required. I, I don't know if, I mean, here's the thing. The plotline has been fairly linear for for the most part. The major storylines seem to be happening. Seem to be. Seem to be for the most part happening. Like Dougie's storyline, yeah. yes, there's individual right. small scenes perhaps, but you know, Janie's progression from yes. first seeing him to Happy yes. Housewife in sure. the car is a clear narrative that's happened over eight yeah. episodes. Other ones have proceeded similarly, like Doppelgooper. Uh so for the most part, that that arc has been continuous, and mm-hmm. there's just been a little bit of pulling and tweaking. So I think you're right. The ones that are um, wildly out of order, yeah, probably are happening for a reason. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think the main storylines that we're really focusing on are happening wildly out of order. I think they're going fairly straightforward, and they are connecting to other storylines. Yes. In fairly straightforward ways. Yeah. Um, whether or not that actually winds up being true, though, is is something we'll have to wait. Well, and, and evaluate it's, at it's the something end. that uh, an early quote from David Lynch. Uh, when before the sh- the series began airing, was that it might be useful to watch these parts mm-hmm. out of order. So um, until we've got all eighteen, we won't know that. Uh, there are some very dedicated Reddit threads and redditors who are trying to piece this together. I trust that they will continue putting it together, and we will have something interesting at I the end so, of it all yes. um, with the the Twin Peaks hive mind working yeah. on it diligently. Uh, but. But yeah, I think I think it's I think you're right. It's probably a combination of of both. Mm-hmm. So the next scene uh, takes us back to Las Vegas and Lucky Seven Insurance, where we've got Anthony finally confessing to the crimes that Bushnell already knows about because mm-hmm. Dougie already knew. And this seems uh, it's shocking to Anthony to find out that Dougie already knew all of this information. Oh, really? yeah. The cops, everything, yeah, the fraud, everything, everything yeah. and 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 it's played for laughs really well. The the lines that they've given uh, Dougie to parrot back. Um, are really great yeah. in that sense that um, 
it, well, in, it, it's always anything that Dougie says is, is pretty funny, full of laughs. Like <laughs> yeah. when he asked earlier on about, you better call your wife. Wife? But here, again, it's the same thing. It's like, uh, yeah, knew that too, or whatever, yeah. them too, or whatever mm-hmm. the quote was. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. It's 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 funny, it, but it's playing off of Anthony's ignorance and obliviousness about all of this. Yeah. And uh, and this is the scene where we find out that Anthony has been wrestling with this. He's had a guilty conscience for a long time. He hasn't slept. He's vomiting blood. He wants to make this right. He'll testify against Duncan Todd. He's nervous about testifying against the cops, which is what I mentioned earlier yeah. about him. Maybe maybe the cops are, are higher up on the food chain than mm-hmm. uh, Duncan Todd Duncan is, Todd, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But um, well, it could be just that they're more dangerous because sure. they have the law on their side, so they can kill him and get away with it. And that yeah. that seems to fit in really well if we want to look at some kind of social commentary structure that's going on. I'm not sure if it's explicit, but it 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 you can read into it that way mm-hmm. that you know these are dangerous cops. They're not good cops, and and. Uh, We've seen a lot of that in the media in the last couple yes. of years. Yeah. So uh, take that for however you want to take it. Um, but it seems like this is, this is narratively, this is reaching a conclusion here with um, Bushnell Mullins probably going to the cops or going somewhere with, with this, hopefully. To the detectives Fusco? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Although I'm, 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 I'm losing saying. a little bit of faith in their ability to, 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 to detect things. That's true. Given the fact that they well, played basketball on. with Dougie's fingerprints. Okay, but come on. If you saw the guy two days ago I and they know, said he escaped a federal prison that same day. I know. They're, they're normies too. who don't understand Twin Peaks. <laughs> it's great. I get it. It's funny. You're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, but but I do feel like we haven't seen the last of Duncan Todd. So mm-hmm. um, whether Anthony's going to bite it, I, I suspect probably um, maybe there will be a hit on Bushnell. Or Janie E. or Sunny Jim, yeah. uh, but, uh, which yeah, I'm, I feel I'm like... nervous about. That that'll happen in the next couple of hours. I think. Yes, I agree. But um, I think uh, the fact that Dougie's been amassing quite a quite a trove of friends and followers. Yes, he you has. Know, he won over his boss. He's won over Tony now. He has the Mitchum brothers mm-hmm. on his in his corner. He's got his he's wife got in his corner. He's got candy. I mean, she's <laughs> she's an army of one. So uh, like we'll we'll see that he'll have friends, but I do feel like tragedy is is Yeah, it's on around the, the corner. Way. But I again, I don't think anything bad's going to happen to Dougie. I mean, I'm hope I'm right because yeah, it would be really sad if something did happen to Janie or or Sunny Jim, but um I really I don't see it happening cuz they've just they've been taking such well, good care of Dougie thus far. Hopefully it lasts. This this is where we put the bickering and bickering peaks. I guess we'll see who's right mm-hmm. in the end. Back in Twin Peaks, we have another scene at the Double R. Yep. Bobby comes in for dinner and orders the usual, but uh, before he gets a chance to be served, he um, comes sees over to Norman, Norma, and, and Big Ed in the back corner. Our first uh, Big Ed sighting. Yeah, Norma's in her regular spot. Ed's sitting across from her. Um, Bobby doesn't really seem like he wants to intrude on anything, but uh, Ed says, "Bobby, get your butt back over here. It's no good eating alone." Uh, he says to them both that they found something today. Of his father's. That his father left for them. Yeah. So now Norma goes and, and brings Ed his dinner. Yep. Uh, Ed calls her babe, which made me gasp with delight. But yeah. uh, Walter, this guy Walter, who seems to be Norma's business partner, mm-hmm. comes in and kind of squashes that because Ed and, and Bobby pick up their meals and leave, leaving Walter and Norma to discuss Norma's franchise. So Norma is a franchisee. Franchiser? Franchiser. Yeah. She owns the franchise yeah, of Norma's five, Double R Norma's Double R's. Uh, yeah. diners. 
And uh, three of them, her business partner says, has uh, have been turning a profit. Which is good for this Which early. is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. But uh, the flagship diner is lagging. Mm-hmm. And Walter has a bunch of suggestions for Norma. Uh, he says that she's charging too much for the pies. Tar- charging too little and paying too much. Or sorry, yeah. paying too much, charging too little. Yeah. And, uh, and Norma says, well, the pies at the other locations are crap. You're not following my recipes. They're not doing what they need to be doing. And Walter disagrees and yeah. uh, has market research about maybe she should change her name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting conversation that um, I love that Norma has franchises. I think that's yeah. that's fantastic. And it really um, it's some place that I, I would have loved to see Norma go. And it's yeah. one of the one of the predictions I kind of had for her was that she would be. A restaurant you know, chair, like a yeah. yeah, yeah, not just a one-off. Yeah. It also fits in nicely with the secret history of Twin Peaks that puts the double R in a historical context within the town. She mm-hmm. says in this episode that it's been there for fifty years. So, um, so I think that's really, really key. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that she makes these pies with love, though, mm-hmm. I think that uh, it was brought up somewhere. It might have been on Reddit or it might have been on Facebook. That it seems like this is a conversation about artistry mm-hmm. and. You could imagine this being a conversation that David Lynch might have had with ABC mm-hmm. or Showtime, or Showtime, yeah, uh, about making Twin Peaks, and uh, and I love that they would put that conversation in the mouth of of Norma mm-hmm. Jennings yeah. because it's she's she's such a full of heart and 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 embodies something very wholesome about the show. I think it's it's clear that she's. An important character to David Lynch. So, if this is in fact some kind of conversation that he's having or or showing about um, what it means to be an artist, whether that artistry involves making pies or making TV shows, um, I think that's that's kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. So, the the time issue that we've been discussing with this um, with relation to this episode uh, really comes to the fore in this yeah. scene where we have Bobby saying that he and the yeah, they the cops. The, the cops found uh, a thing of the of his father's. Yes, today, today, and he specifies today, yeah. um, which had been if it's the little vial that was in the 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 chair in his yeah. mom's house. Uh, that was four or five episodes now, right? Ago. Um, and they progressed even further. They'd opened it up and looked at it, and they'd uh, you know Hawk had brought out his map, and right? They'd kind of done all this, so um, presumably. That doesn't all just happened today. That's no. been over a day or two. Um, and yet, so is Bobby talking about this? Or there's the alternative option. Well, okay, so what, what you're saying is it could have been, this could be happening on September 29th or 30th, yeah. whenever they found the vial. Yes, exactly. Or it could be... Possibly the day that they actually went to uh, Jack, Jack Rabbit's palace. palace. So yes. it's October 1st or 2nd? And they found something new. And we haven't even right. discovered the thing that he's talking about at this right. point. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's... There's that whole possibility and the fact that we don't know when this scene is taking place. Mm-hmm. Well, no, we know exactly when it's taking place, but we don't know how it relates to the other scenes that we're seeing. Right. Um, that's the interesting thing. Well, how do you know? How do you mean we know exactly when it's taking place? Well, he said we found it today. Yeah, well, if you are presuming right. that it is just the, the metal container. Mm-hmm. Um, then we know be, it's taking place at the end of September. Yes, September 29th or 30th or whatever it is. Um, and that means that... Um, the other stuff that we've already seen, such as uh, Hawk talking about the map, planning their thing, uh, him and Truman talking about where they're going to go, yeah, um, looking it up on the GPS and all that yeah. stuff. You know, that's already happened too. Um, 
then uh, no sorry that stuff hasn't happened yet that'll be in the future right why then are we seeing this out of order and it's it's again it's just raising that question of of why this is happening right uh and we don't really have a great well, answer at this point. i would have i would assume and what i did assume was that this was taking place after or before um when they just found the vial mm-hmm. before they gone out to jackrabbit's palace because i'm expecting that whatever happens when they go out there is going to be big mm-hmm. that they're going to find something big and bobby isn't going to just nonchalantly walk into the diner and say yeah we found some stuff from belonging to my dad mm-hmm. but then again if if we are looking at you know multiple timelines or multiple realities it could be that maybe there's some other thing that they've found. Like, there's so many... <laughs> this sounds ridiculous. There's so many questions. We just have no idea. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and we also don't know where it lines up with Bobby's other story of his daughter. Right. Um, and Becky and uh, Shelly. You know, was the, sh- was the conversation with Shelly and Becky earlier in that day? Or, or has it not happened yet? Or has it yet? not happened yet? Or was it three days ago? Yeah. You know, it's really confusing as to when yeah. uh, the other plot lines going on in Twin Peaks are happening. So, so whether we're yeah. going to get any kind of skeleton key, you know, moment where it helps to put everything together yeah. is really unclear. I, I'm going to say I tend to doubt that we're going to yeah, get that. Me too. But, um, but who knows? It it could come. It may not. Yeah. It may just be up to us to figure it out and put it in where it seems logically to take place. But I'm going, I'm going out on a limb, and I'm saying that this is this took, t- this is taking place in the past. Yeah. This took place the day that they found the vial. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting in this scene is is the relationship between Ed and Norma. Mm-hmm. So we were all wondering, you know, what's going on, and Ed says to himself, "There's nothing going on here, son." Yeah. When he's telling Bobby, "Don't bother leaving," um, and then, but. After he's he's left, him and Bobby have left in order to allow uh, Walter and Norma to discuss business. You know, they still have that, those looks. You know, yeah. Ed and Norma still make eye contact, and she's got that sly little smile on her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, Ed still seems to be carrying a torch for her, mm-hmm. um, but he's not with her, obviously, because yeah. she's kissing this Walter guy, and they have plans for dinner and everything, right? Yeah. So it, it was a little heartbreaking to see that they're not together. You know, this was one of the couples that... Um, we loved mm-hmm. in our original watch watch through um and once again well is it possible happy. that maybe they are together and uh maybe norma doesn't have any idea that that walter is hitting on her or oh, no. is she flirting is this an open flirtation it's... and they they have a relationship yeah i think walter and her are seeing each other as well you think they're partners in more than ways than one yeah. maybe yeah. i don't That's know i i I, I, I think it could be read other ways but it's uh not clear. I think the last scene with Ed makes it pretty clear that he's a very well. The last scene quiet... with Ed uh, shows a lot of different things that we can talk about when we get there. Sure. Um, so the next scene takes us to Nadine, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a fairly quick one. Yeah. Uh, she basically Dr. Kobe's driving by her store, sees the golden shovel, stops and has to see her and say hello. Uh, buzzes her in, and they have a nice little chat about you know um, I'm glad you're we're helping each other kind of thing, right? Uh, she says that your program and your sh- golden shovel has helped me shovel the, sh- the shovel the way out of the shit uh, for myself. And he's like, well, I'm so happy to hear this. They have a cute little moment. Um, and then Jacoby tells a kind of odd story about the last time I saw you, you were on your hands and knees at the grocery store picking up a potato. Yeah. And there was a terrible storm that night. Yeah. And they kind of just pause. And that's how the scene ends. Yeah. It's a very Twin Peaks, <laughs> very David Lynch conversation to have. It seems like it's a flirtation. It does. Um, which which made me wonder if Nadine and Ed are not together. 
Oh, um, yeah. I, well, she's I'm, not wearing a wedding ring. No, and, I, and Ed isn't Ed isn't either. either. So I would assume it seems like she was living, wherever she was was where she was living, but mm-hmm. we find out it's it's her uh, drapery store. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think she's living in her store, but she seems successful enough. Maybe she did leave Ed and, and this is her entire focus, mm-hmm. um, which matches up nicely with Norma and her entire focus being her franchise. Maybe maybe that's the thing. When women get rid of the men in their lives, yeah, they, they can better. be really successful. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe when they dump Ed and they yeah, get successful. Exactly, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting that, that there's this awkward flirtation. Mm-hmm. and um, But more than that, it seems like... Uh, it seems like this is not entirely on the level. There seems to be something going on here. I, I felt awkward about uh, Dr. Jacoby's language and the way he was talking. He didn't seem like the same guy who who rants and rails about government conspiracies. So I wondered, and other people have mm. pointed it out online too, that is this Dr. Jacoby uh, trying to help Nadine in in his own way or trying to help people with psychological problems in his own way by putting on this show where he's acting out uh, a a persona and it it Mm. fits in with some of the theories that have been going around with regard to audrey's scene with the with charlie that maybe that is some kind of role play situation that maybe this is an unconventional therapy that that dr amp is a persona that has a, a vlog that airs once a week and it's only to help the troubled people of Twin Peaks to shovel the shit. I'm not entirely yeah, sure, but I but it's just one that, of the but... things that he says um, that it's us versus them or it's us against them. That, to me, feels like a weird line for him to have said and, and the way he delivers it feels like he's not entirely convinced that it's us versus them. Whereas what? Dr. Amp was very forthright in and spitting all over the place and red in the face and... And yeah, then here, is, he's meeting yeah. her on the street, and he seems like... This is a one-on-one conversation as opposed to rallying the troops. This is not a... But he's talking to mouth. his number one foot soldier. Yes, yes, but he's saying, yeah, it's, you know, it's us versus them. we got to stay on our toes. You know, it's like a yeah. source of vigilance as opposed to anger and indignation. Like, right. it's just a different approach that you would take to a one-on-one person. I guess, but I, I feel like it's, it's still, like, they haven't seen each other in a while. Um, it, yeah. it, it feels odd. It's an odd conversation all around, but... Um, oh, I didn't think so at all. I thought of it. I thought it was just adorable. These are two of my favorite, it is adorable. quirky characters yeah. from the original series that have again traveled a whole breadth of and distance. Uh, in while we haven't, years. yeah, in twenty five years, and now they're at this point, and we see them meet up again, mm-hmm. and it's just it's cute and it's it's adorable, and they have this yep. shared knowledge and and desire to to make the world a better place and in their own you know unique ways, you know. So I, I just love that. I, 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 I I'm not saying I don't love it. Okay, but I'm saying I didn't think it, it was weird. seems yeah. it seems awkward in a in a. Well, they're awkward characters. Of course <laughs> they are, but but it seems more awkward than I would have expected from. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, in context of the next scene, though, we get uh, mm-hmm. a couple of very strange moments, mm-hmm. um, and the, the the episode finishes off with them. Uh, we're at the Palmer House, and we get another shot of Sarah drinking and smoking in front of the TV. But this time, instead of a violent nature documentary, she's watching a loop of about, I don't know, 20 seconds or so of a boxing match, an yeah. old black and white boxing match. Um, some people have wondered if it's Rocky Marciano. I, I don't know if they've yeah, I, definitively yet pinpointed which boxing, which boxing match, match this is. is. Yeah. Some people have wondered if, if maybe it's supposed to be Bushnell Mullins that yeah. she's watching. Um, but either way, it's a, it's a loop 
of one section of this fight and in between the loop there's a, a an electric static sound mm-hmm. that comes through and starts to loop over again and the and then the video starts playing over again now the first time i watched it i thought that sarah's actions were interesting because it seems like she's looping yes. in a way it's yeah. not exactly the same no. but she pours from she the same bottle up. twice yeah. Then it's kind of empty. It's empty both you know, times. It's yeah. like, did she just forget, or is she's just this... so drunk she's not noticing yeah. this? But she doesn't seem. She's not stumbling or no. falling over. She's not that level of drunk. And when yet. she gets up to go get another bottle, she brings back the bottle, and it too is empty, empty. or there's a, a drop yeah. in there or something. Yeah. So it seems like she's, um, even if it's not literally looping, she's repeating the same actions over mm-hmm. and over again. In this scene that is a couple of minutes long, but. Um, what did you make of that? Yeah, I, I don't know. The scene is, is really interesting. Um, I, I honestly feel like Sarah is in some sort of in-between space, which mm-hmm. might be what Audrey's in as well. Right. Um, of between the electricity world of the, the lodges and all those spirits. And the real and world. And the real world. And she's self-medicating with, with alcohol. Right. And so it's left her impaired already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the alcohol doesn't help. So she's, yeah, I felt like... The world around her is looping, mm-hmm. and she didn't even notice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she doesn't even seem to acknowledge. She's not even really watching TV. No, it's just um, there. It's, it's just, just there. On. It's just yeah. on, yeah. Yeah, it's just something to stare at. And, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's – this is one of those scenes that I think will become more clear as we go in. I right. mean, the other things we've seen of the Palmer household right. indicate that it is in some way a portal. Mm-hmm. Um, so – I would not be surprised if if the looping, at least, is uh, a manifestation of something going on in another, right. another world. Well, especially considering that the other characters that have had uh, weird glitching going on in their scenes mm-hmm. um, are affected by the Lodge or are connected to the Lodge in some way, or we suspect that they are. Like Albert and Gordon have had glitches happening in their scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, notably a couple of parts ago when um, Gordon answers the door and sees Laura mm-hmm. in, and then she fades away and it's Albert standing there uh, has led a lot of people to believe that Bob or part of Bob is in Albert in some way Yeah, which okay. is I mean yeah, and we, yeah. we, we talked about it in, in our last episode that we're, we're starting to get a little bit suspicious of, of, of Albert. At this point. No, I'm but we're also yeah, too, No, everybody, like, you're right, yeah. you're right. But but here also, I mean, knowing what we saw last time with Sarah, it seems even like it's more ominous that this scene is showing her with a looping soundtrack and video in the background, mm-hmm. this electrical static. I'm just I'm not afraid of her, I'm afraid for her. Yeah, I don't know if she's necessarily aware that there's evil around her. She probably is on some level, but I don't think she's on a Leland level of like murdering people. But I think she's channeling some mm-hmm. of that stuff, and yeah. it's because of being in that house, which was the the locus for so much uh, evil twenty five years ago. Yeah, right. Yeah. But anyway. yeah, I yeah no, it's it's going to be really interesting to see where Sarah's story goes because. She's obviously pivotal to everything. I mean, mm-hmm. assuming she was the frigate girl, you know, right. this is this is a very important moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I really don't know, but it, it, I mean, just seems like this are just so unsettling because you don't have any answers at the end of it. You're just like, okay, something weird is happening here, 
she doesn't seem to be aware of it, but I'm aware of it, but that doesn't really seem to be helping much, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not, it doesn't illuminate anything larger. No. Um, it just leaves you unsettled. So, and that's partly because it's the way that David Lynch operates on a, on a visual level, the visual language of his films. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. But also because we still have five hours of, of the show left to, to look at and examine. So we're getting... A glimpse it's like we're, we're watching the film through our fingertips and we can't really see all of it yet mm-hmm. so we we don't really know what to be afraid of at yeah. this point yeah so um and then knowing that we have to wait a week for the next the next, the next bit dose, to watch yes. through and we're gonna yeah. have to wait another month before we get the full picture yeah. it's uh it adds to that level of tension yeah. speaking of tension uh, yeah. In the, the second to last scene, we have another uh, glimpse into the life of Audrey and Charlie. Um, they've moved locations within yeah. their house. Yeah. Or the Presumably house. Presumably wherever they are. Yeah. Which, again, feels very cloistered and very uh, hemmed in. There's a lot of heavy yeah. heavy furniture, yeah. heavy dark Thick colors. Stuff. Yeah. There's, books there's and wood. There's not much room to move even. No. Yeah. And, and they're still, like, the blocking is still, in the scene is still very static. Mm-hmm. Um, we do get... We see Audrey standing and Charlie sitting still, um, but they've they're now in a living room area, and Audrey is beyond panicked. She still wants to know what was said on the conversation in the conversation that Charlie had with Tina. Uh, she says that she feels like she's somewhere else and that she's somebody else. And yeah. I thought that was I got chills That's when I heard so, that because yes. it it really lends credence to the theory that maybe she's either still in the coma. Or in a lodge, or yes. in some sort of in-between place. I mean, yeah, as soon as someone says another place, yeah. or some variation thereof, you think of the man from another place. Of course. So it's just, it's it's the language that Lynch well, uses to that, indicate something's wrong, yeah. And that, that scene from the dream sequence in the original series is mirrored in this scene when Audrey moves across the room to sit down. She's sitting on a chair Mm -hmm. and Charlie is sitting on a chair opposite her. And, and the actor who plays Charlie is not a little person, but he has some form of, um, I think it's arthritis Uh or childhood arthritis. I'm, I'm unclear, unsure about the definition or the actual diagnosis, but it makes his upper body look as if he's a little person, but he's actually full height. And and so you don't notice that until you see pictures of him standing. Or other scenes. He's yeah. he's been in many other movies, yeah. Movies and TV and shows. Yeah. But um but the fact that we're only getting him from a seated perspective mm-hmm. makes him look like the little man yes. from another place. Yes. And then you've got Audrey sitting in this chair, um, in the same kind of almost the same angle. Yeah. They're at the same angle to one yeah, another yeah. that Cooper and the little man were in the red room. Yeah. So that even you know, that that visual callback made us well, it made me question what yes, we were seeing yes. and what was real and what was yeah. happening here all along with all the things that audrey says so she says she doesn't feel like herself charlie has never experienced that that yeah. emotion or that situation um she can't trust anybody but herself but since she doesn't know who she is she can't trust, trust even herself yeah. um which is an unsettling rootless feeling mm-hmm. no wonder she's having what looks like the beginning of a panic attack um, and, she's and, supposed to go to the roadhouse. But she doesn't know where it is. She asks, like, how far is it? Yeah. Or is it far, yeah. I think is what she asks. And Charlie in, intimates that he thinks she's on drugs, mm-hmm. which links in with the drug theory or the drug uh, storyline that's been going through Twin uh, Peaks. Twin yeah. Peaks. But, but also to the sense of where is she that she doesn't remember where the roadhouse is. Oh, yeah. And what's wrong with her? That and she what's wrong with her that she doesn't know how far away it is. Yeah. And then... Charlie gives the really interesting line. Now, are you going to stop playing games or do I have to end your story too? 
story of the little girl who lived on the lake. Is it? And yeah, so Audrey's response is actually the more interesting part because, you know, like, what what story is he talking about? Is yeah. it, I mean, it's her story that she that he intimates, but it feels like this is this is really a conversation that's happening in, in like a metaphorical language. Mm-hmm. It's not really about actual things like the story is her life or something like that and he's threatening her entire existence yeah and she's trying to like wrap some some meaning and uh you know some some context around that existence it's it's very strange that's why the the little girl who lived down the lane line stuck out to me because that reminded me of the baba baba black sheep nursery rhyme Mm. and i thought audrey was always the black sheep of her family so Mm. is she talking about herself in that way which which made um charlie put him into this you know people have wondered if he's her therapist in that sense with that awful threat to like close down to end her story he's like a dungeon master he's like somebody who holds the key it felt very inception like you know where she's in levels of a dream that charlie is in charge of so is he some part of her subconscious is he some part of her mind that is in control of those memories and she can't access those memories yeah she can't go to the roadhouse because she doesn't know the way there anymore well she doesn't even know like like the the whole fact that she only has one half of that conversation fits in nicely with the the idea that um, she's in a coma and yeah. is only hearing things and filtering them through uh, her comatose yeah. mind into her subconscious, which is where she's retreated to for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. So if she's only hearing one half of that conversation. She's given that voice to Charlie in her dream for some reason. Yeah. And maybe there's more that's going that's gone on. She's been in this place for 25 years. Mm-hmm. She can't leave. Um, and, it, and it, yeah, I mean, uh, David Lynch treating a coma state as if it's a dream, yeah. dream place would not be unheard of at all. No, and it's a nice parallel too with with what's happening with Cooper, Cooper. being trapped in twenty mm-hmm. for twenty five years. Um, it links them thematically in a mm-hmm. way that I w- really, really was not expecting. No, no, but it um, might be. Yeah. But considering that these are the only two characters that we've seen who are in any kind of psychological distress, yeah. um, that seems really important. Yeah. So, and the fact that they're both. At certain points, being in a room, they're trapped in a room with a man that they don't necessarily really yeah. trust. Yeah, and yeah, totally. And uh, it would also add up for Richard's uh, existence, sure. you know, if he didn't have either parent. Yeah, he never had a father. Ben Horn said, but he, he never really he never had, had, a had a mother either. either. Yeah, you know, yeah, that that could have messed him up as well. So um, yeah, I think there's, and it's the reason why nobody brings her up or talks course, about her because she's still she's laying still, comatose in in the hospital yeah. bed. Uh, the last lines or one of her last lines that she that she gives before she starts crying mm-hmm. is um, that she wants to stay and she wants to go. She doesn't really know what she's whether she's coming or going, mm-hmm. and she wants Charlie to help her because. Charlie, help me. <laughs> Is the ghost with you? So that has led a lot of people to wonder if that's a reference to the Ghostwood Development Project, which is the last thing that we saw Audrey involved with in season two. Um, if she is in a coma, is that the last thing that she's remembering? Uh, maybe something about being stuck under the bomb uh, after the bomb blast or something. Yeah. Uh, memories of that might be looping for her. Um, but also the fact that Ghostwood... Just in itself, and we've talked about this in our episodes in the past when we dealt with season one and two, um, the idea that the the wood is haunted, it's a ghost wood. Maybe mm-hmm. she's, uh, if if she's not in a coma, if she died, is she trapped in the wood too? Yeah. 
just like Josie just like was, Josie, yeah. is the sound in Ben's office, his daughter trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, that would that would lend some extra meaning to those scenes. Yeah, I mean, there's also the possibility that this is all real and that she just has a mental illness. I yeah. mean, that's something that a yeah. lot of people identified, saying, you know, it sounds like she has maybe borderline personality disorder or multiple personalities or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and so she's literally... The, the, when she says, I feel like I'm not myself, yeah. it's literally just that feeling and, yeah. and that, that sense that um, I don't think you can explain any other way mm-hmm. except to say that that's what it feels like. So um, it could be that, that she's just had a very stressful life or something and sure. this, is a, this is a byproduct or she was potentially always had the potential for mental illness. It's it's really not well, she, clear at she all. She always said that emotional problems ran in her family. That's true. So, yeah. uh, it's entirely possible, but I do think that it's more likely that we're dealing with some kind of altered dream or something. state. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. And and the, if it were connected with the Lodges, it would seem to fit in with the way that David Lynch wanted Audrey's story to go, which mm-hmm. is to have her being trapped in the Lodge at the end of, the, of season two. Mm-hmm. Um, before the storylines got changed. So um, if he's trying to to fix that and to finish the story the way he wants it to be finished, then I wouldn't be surprised surprised at all. So the roadhouse. The roadhouse. We do go to the roadhouse. Audrey doesn't, but we do. we do. And And who's who's performing, Aiden? The roadhouse was happy to present James Hurley playing the greatest song of all time. Um, and so he's, it's just the greatest thing. It is. It's just perfect. Um, and so he's playing this song. He's got two young women up on stage singing uh, Maddie and Donna's parts, mm-hmm. backup vocals. Uh, and his beau is, uh, whose name is Renee. Uh, we went back to the... Would, would you call her his beau? Yeah, sure. His bell? His bell. That's better. The, the French girl, good. There you go. <laughs> We've only been in this country for, <laughs> for five month, weeks. Yeah. Um, the, Renee is her name, and yeah. she uh, was given eyes. He, they were given eyes in each other yeah. back in part one. Part and two. Part two it was, was part two. two. Yeah. Uh, so here she is sitting alone, and she's crying when she listens to to James's song, song. about the two of them, presumably. Maybe him and maybe. every other girl that he's ever been. Yeah, <laughs> I have yeah. a feeling he sings yeah, it to everyone. He sings it to but, everyone. But I will say, I think we fixed our hearts a little bit here towards James. I felt like the well, scene was really great. I really thought it was fitting. Oh yeah, I don't no, know that's why. the thing. Yes. It just felt it did. like this was it, it was like uh the culmination of a twenty five year journey for James Hurley, who he went from, you know, writing this song with with Maddie and Donna in his living room. Now Maddie's dead. We have no idea what happened to Donna. She's dead. Aiden just <laughs> yeah, if you didn't hear that. <laughs> uh and now he's come he's back to come Twin back Peaks. to Twin Peaks yeah. after an, an accident, a bike accident. Yeah, some sort. Uh and he's performing this song at the Roadhouse, which was an important place for him where he met with Donna, where he mm. probably met with Laura. It feels like he, even with, with such a limited amount, like we haven't heard him say much, but we haven't heard him say we, anything. We, yeah. Well, I think he had one line in that part two where he ordered a drink or oh, said something yeah, okay, with, his, yeah. with his, his friend, friend, the green glove. Yeah. But, but other than that, yeah, it's been a very limited character development and so much story, mm-hmm. which is really cool. And and maybe James always has been cool. <laughs> well, I, I believe it now after no, watching this. Me too. I I love this scene. I thought it was I thought it was great. And I you know, I've I've come about. I think if you listen to our original, I think it was it was episode two of season two, when he played yeah. the song for the first time. Um, I think my comment was why the hell does this song exist? Mm-hmm. But now I can't imagine it any other way. Yeah. And hear it again it feels like it's just part of twin peaks yeah this song is very iconic if for love it or hate it um 
to the series and you know here it is coming back it, it feels like part of the return and it also feels like a giant troll on the part of um, frost and lynch yeah. to to yeah, I don't put think, james haters in their places yeah i don't think they were ignorant to the fact that james was not the most popular character no, and this scene not. was not the most the original scene of just you and i was not a popular no. scene amongst many fans so i feel like they're like no 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 you guys this is this is yeah. how it's going to be. You, yeah. you, you got James singing. It is the original recording. Yes. So that means... Laura Flynn Boyle did have an appearance yes. in voice only. Yes. Well, her picture her was picture on... Her picture was also on, on Sarah's desk, yes. Well, on the table, the table, living yeah. table, a picture of her and Laura. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we Two did get a little bit of Donna. Donna. But, yeah. um, so it's not like she's been written out entirely. No. Yeah. So good. this this Roadhouse scene continues. We don't get a credit scene until afterwards, which uh, which is interesting. We I don't think we've seen many non-musical credit scenes part eight was the last one i think which with the cricket the fricket girl yeah and also part one had the giant just looking right out yes and, yeah. but true. there's been a couple yeah um this but one's to big have ed. this one be big ed and this is the scene from the trailer so he's sitting at his desk in his uh big ed's gas, big ed's farm. gas farm and looking out over his gas pumps eating second supper he's mm-hmm. eating chicken noodle soup with a red or um or was it cream of ch- corn might someone said it, someone told me cream that corn soup. he might have been eating cream corn soup. You don't really see what it is. We're just guessing yeah. here. But but he's also got a coffee cup beside him uh, from the double R, and he's staring out at his gas pumps. And something that some eagle-eyed Redditors noticed was that his reflection does not match up with his movements. Yeah. Um, he's sitting perfectly stock still, and his reflection is still eating the cup of soup and then puts the cup of soup down very well, it, abruptly. Well, it's like, yeah, it's almost like a glitch again. Yeah. It's like it goes up and then it's down. It's, it's, down it's like an instant frame thing. And yeah. it is, it's in the reflection. It's, but it's not the reflection no. that would actually be that would up. That would have to be added in in yes. post. Yeah. So that is a deliberate effect that's been put in there for some reason. And, and then to have Ed seem to, I don't know if he reacts. I don't know if he's watching his reflection and knows that it's not working the way it's supposed to. But at that point, he lights a piece of paper on fire. Well, it's not waits... immediately afterwards. But yes, no, he but, does but after yeah. that, he lights a piece of paper on fire and lets it burn down until it's almost like at his knob, fingers. Basically. And then he blows it out and throws it on the desk. And that's the end of the credits. So now, for that to happen, A, what is he burning? Why is he burning it? And what does it mean? Whenever a character is playing with fire, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> so to have Ed be a character... Who hasn't really been associated with the supernatural no. in many ways, and no. except at the end of, of the last episode of season two. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. Yeah. Um, that is frightening to me that yeah. we've got Ed now with his his reflection not doing what it should be doing, playing with fire at a gas farm, mm-hmm. which I I don't remember if I was talking about this with you or with John Bernardi. I can't remember. Um, but. It's kind of in my headcanon for a little while that Big Ed's gas farm was located down the mountain, maybe directly below uh, Glastonbury Grove. Mm-hmm. And that there was some kind of vein of oil deposits oil or something, yeah, evil yeah. oil you know the, that you ran know the between gas the gets two. Ch- chipped in, right? They don't yeah, just I know dig that. A hole. I, don't, I, I knew that they, he did. Okay. <laughs> I'm an Alberta girl. I know how oil and <laughs> okay, gas yeah, works. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, but to to have that connection with with the two seemed logical, but I didn't know how it would fit in. And then mm-hmm. to see this, it just gave me shivers because I thought maybe this is maybe Ed has been infected by something yeah, evil in some too. Way, yeah. um, I think it's entirely possible that the entire town has been affected mm-hmm. or infected. But um, 
but to see it so clearly and and if you have a chance go back and watch the end credits turn up your contrast and your brightness levels on your screen to uh, if you're yeah. watching it on TV, use the racer head um, setup because I think that's the best way people have said to to actually get the best. Um, yeah, visual of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or of any, of any of the episodes. Yeah. But definitely go watch it because it's it's clear that something else is happening. Some people have also said something similar is happening in uh, the scene with Audrey and Charlie where Audrey's reflection doesn't react the way that it should. But that doesn't seem as clear as this one. No, and, and I mean, this one, I couldn't see it the first two times I watched it. You had to pull up like a... a version that had been lightened up i think on oh no i just put it on my phone and cranked up the brightness on on the screen but it was from the reddit thread yeah so we'll link to that but it was it was really interesting that Mm uh the yeah this this these glitches are happening everywhere Mm -hmm. um you know we had sarah's today and also ed's now Mm -hmm. um are there going to be more probably uh, what does it mean? What do they mean? And and why? It, are they it feels like John's time quake theory yeah, is holding is holding up yeah. pretty good here because yeah. uh, I don't know how else to explain it at this point. I will tell you three things. So, so my, my my intro, can I do my intro? You do your <laughs> intro. You have one set up for this? No, I just we've asked John three questions. <laughs> He's given us three answers. The usual intro. I the understand intro, now. Yeah, okay, that's, enough, that's how enough. it goes. First one is, what link, if any, is there between the Montana crew that we met in this episode and the drugs that are in Twin Peaks? In the original series, the drugs were coming from Canada. Bobby said in an earlier part that he was mining the woods and paths from Canada. Are these guys connected to Red? Is that how Richard knew how to go there? To this farm location, we presume. Mm-hmm. John's response is the link could be that it's all part of Doppelcooper's criminal network. I forget which of our 25 years later uh, site folks said it. I think he thinks it was Brian, but they brought up how Doppelcooper may be funding his whole operation with the Sparkle Lodge drugs trade. Hmm. That whole section. Um, Red easily could be a lieutenant in that ring, and there we have, uh, and that's how. Richard Horn would know. So Richard is like a low man in the totem pole of the same whole lodge. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yes. I do. I, I think it was Brian who mentioned that on the site. And uh, I kind of see how that could work if the drugs that are being introduced into town are lodge related. We yeah. don't have any proof of that from the show. Not yet. Um, just theories that people mm-hmm. have been throwing out there. But um, it seems plausible. Yeah. I think otherwise you've got to do some some pretty crazy mental gymnastics in order to get Richard to Montana, mm-hmm. to this particular location. Yeah. Um, so does that mean that he knows who Doppelkoop is? That I he knows Mr. I, C? Again, we were saying that it didn't seem like anybody really knew who he was. Yeah. Nobody was scared of him. Nobody knew anything about him when he first showed up. They were yeah. all behind Renzo. Yeah. Um, and yeah, how Red connects to all this, I'm really not sure. But yeah, yeah. I think they, there's got to be some connection there. I don't know to what extent. But yeah. Yeah, no. It'll be worth keeping an eye on Absolutely. as we go forward. Because yeah, Red is still this wild card in my book. Yes. Don't really know much about him. If except... you take it at face value that he's a magician, mm-hmm. right? That he's then then he he has to be lodge connected in yeah. some way, right? And you'd think if he was involved with drugs that he's black lodge connected, not white lodge connected. If if we're still going by the old, you know, black is bad, yes, white is good, yes. which we still don't know. If we that's don't know true if that's or true, not, right? Yeah. Um, but since we don't really know what his deal is, it's mm-hmm. hard to say if he is lodge connected or not, or if that that magic that we saw wasn't just some kind of you know, yeah. drug, yeah, drug induced trip, yeah, yeah, or something, yeah, yeah. But uh, 
It could be. I do think that it, it is problematic that nobody in that crew seemed to know who Mr. C was yeah. except for Ray. Yeah. So it seems like Ray is the connection. But Mr. C knew where the farm was. So I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I just like if, an underworld hangout that everybody knows the yeah. location of. And, the you know, this crew, Red's crew possibly, were the ones they set up at that point in time. Right. Or Renzo's crew or whoever's crew that was. Right. Um, yeah. But, eh, yeah, I, I think that's one of the more interesting mysteries is yeah. read in this whole well yeah and i think yeah. we've got five hours left we'll probably find out something yeah i hope yeah who knows i hope so <laughs> uh okay question number two what do you make of all the glitches sarah's looped boxing match ed's reflection in the window possibly audrey's reflection too plus all the other uh time glitches that we've seen throughout the, throughout series, yeah. the, the diner um all that stuff that are present in this episode John replies, the glitches and restarts are thematically all related to repeating cycles and it is happening again, in quotes. The fact and the fact that it seems to be happening more often in more places says to me that the circuit issue caused by Doppelcooper and Cooper Dougie's simultaneous presences may be causing a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. I just hope they're not causing the kind of feedback you get when you point two microphones at each other or our ears will be in a world of hurt. Also, part of the cycle loops here. Big Ed pining for Norma, just you, and the ring returning to the lodge. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, thematically, we've we've talked... I mean, well, circles and loops are already so much a part of Twin Peaks, the Twin Peaks mythos, right? Mm -hmm. Mythos? Mythos. What am I? Mythos. Close. <laughs> the Twin Peaks mythos that um, it's, it's kind of hard to separate it from that. So any kind of looping that we're seeing has to be related thematically, I think, to that. Mm -hmm. Um so does that mean that characters that we haven't seen and end there in the middle of their story are going to come back to the start of their story? That was something really interesting with um, Doppelkoop when, when, during the, the arm wrestling match where he says starting position mm -hmm. over and over again. Is that what we're going to be seeing thematically? Is everybody going back to their starting positions, yeah. right? Um, are some of those characters already there, like Ed and Norma? Um, where, is that, where does that leave Audrey? Uh, where does that leave Cooper? Mm -hmm. um, and the, the new characters, where does that leave them? We don't know where their stories started and ended. We just know where we've seen them. them is that yeah, in, in the, the middle, middle or is that, at, you know, at where is this yeah, going to go? Yeah. Um, questions that I don't think we're going to have answered by the end of five more parts. I doubt it. Probably not with the <laughs> book either. So no, I'm wondering, yeah. I'm really wondering if we're going to get to the end of 18 hours and say, man, I wish there was more. Yeah. Well, <laughs> of knows, course, I think right? we would. Yeah. I think just our, our nature is that we would love more and more yeah. all the time. But yeah, no. But I don't think they're they're uh, accidental. I know a lot of people still think that they are accidental. And there's some good arguments for that being mm -hmm. that, you know, David Lynch tends to hit emotional beats with his storylines and the plots that he that he wants to tell. We've talked about it ourselves, about how each episode if you bottled it, it's it's a separate theme. It has a different flavor. Each mm -hmm. part is is distinct. So if that is the case, it's possible that some of these things are grouped in a way that, that you know, link them together within that hour. Mm -hmm. But I think on the whole, we've seen too much that... I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the diner scene yeah. where we had that, that major clear. glitch that, that people were like, oh, that's just, you know, a mistake in editing. But I, I just, now that we've seen things like Sarah with the boxing match, and even the fact that that, that scene doesn't look much different from the first time we saw yeah. Sarah. Yeah. Is this the same night? Has she just mm -hmm. switched channels and now it's on a loop there? Um, or has her life been in a loop? Is she in, I guess that's what we would call a rut, right? That mm -hmm. you just stay in that same place. Spinning, she yeah. just sits on the couch and she smokes and she 
Uh, like she chain smokes her cigarettes and and yeah, drinks her vodka. Yeah, and that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, is that thematically that's her thing that she's yeah yeah so it's expressed in the in a visual audio i don't think that's well. an accident i think now that we've seen all of that i don't think any of this is accidental yeah um yeah it might keep us guessing i i don't know yeah five hours left feels like we're pushing it a little bit to yeah. have like a reveal about something well, i don't major. think we we're ever gonna get that no no, no. No, but I mean, you might get some more hints, and they, sure. there still might be a few of those. But... Sure, but I think it's going to be much more like Firewalk with Me, where mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about it for, yeah, for 25 another 25 years. years. <laughs> I hope so. Otherwise, what are we going to do with this uh, podcast? I don't know. <laughs> Go the way of the Dota. That's fine too. Third question Why do you think the scenes are being shown out of order? Is it simply for effect or to heighten emotional moments, or is it for some broader thematic purpose? John's response is. I think themes are explored in each episode, like how last week's part was about paternalism and part 10 was domestic violence. And there's more than that, but I can't. And it's all happening so quickly that I can't remember them all. Uh, but each part seems to have a, explore a message or a theme. What's this week's? Haven't sat with it long enough to know, but I bet you'll have some pretty solid guesses by now, right? So, yes, we've talked about it, you know, as you said, even looping and, mm. and that, uh, you know, there was the loneliness and kind of... Uh, you know, insecurity and, and fear and, uh, you know, sadness of the Twin Peaks characters mm-hmm. are, you know, between Big Ed and even James in a weird kind of way. Yeah. He hasn't moved either in, no. in 25 years, right? Maybe he's, he's he's expanded the scope of that song is now he's performing it in front of more people. But, but it's still the same song and there's mm-hmm. still that emotion that sits there, obviously, because Renee is reacting to mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, so Ed's yeah. still hung up on Norma and not yeah. gone anywhere. I mean, Nadine has a little bit of movement sure. as well, yeah. but you can't tell how much of that is is real because she's bought into this conspiracy theory yeah. laden vibe, and it's like, how connected is she actually to reality? Is mm-hmm. her store actually close to bankruptcy, and that golden shovel is not going to help her in the end? Like, right. you know, these are the things we don't know about some of these characters. So, yeah. but it feels it does feel like that that was the a good theme for this episode. Mm-hmm. It. it it brought everything back home, but it wasn't. I think we mentioned this before that it's not the same home that you, yeah, um, that you left. That you left. Mm-hmm. So um, it's twenty five years on, and yeah, things are different. Yeah, yeah. So a lesson in nostalgia, I think, is that too is you know maybe they're right, and you can't ever go home again. That's it. Guarding positions more comfortable. So, final thoughts, Lindsay. Final thoughts. I really liked this episode. I thought it was really great. Um, it tied a lot of things together. It brought a lot of new things in that have got everybody talking. I'm really surprised at the way Audrey's story is, is mm-hmm. panning out. Yes. I thought, I was worried that maybe that was all we were going to get. Was, was One that scene. I really did. I thought, you know, it's going to be the throwaway scene and, and this was going to be a big tease, but there seems to be some kind of a link there and it makes sense that if she's broken in some way that she would be linked with cooper mm-hmm. in that sense yeah. um like we mentioned earlier they're both psychologically broken mm-hmm. so um I, I like that link and i'm surprised i'm genuinely surprised that that's where it's going and that everybody is so 
fascinated by it. That seems to be the major topic of conversation online. Yeah. yeah Audrey well, and Charlie and what's exactly. going on there. And uh, an interesting theory that popped up in the last couple hours that I saw was that everything is set in the 1940s. In that right. Room, yes. It was perhaps set around the time of the nuclear the, explosion. Exactly. Um, that's why he has the rotary phone and he's dressed a certain way. I mean, she right. looks a little more modern. Right. But, but but still, even then, like the length of her dress and the, yes. the cut, the neckline and everything, her hair, hair and is everything, styled yeah. in a way that does seem very mid-century. Right. Yeah. So. Um, absolutely. That's such a great catch. I think that I saw it first on Counter Esperanto. Yeah, they, yeah they, they retweeted someone else yes. who had pointed out. And it was so, like, yeah, um, so yeah, it's brilliant. So if that's some kind of a link there. And one thing that, that's come up in conversation with um, the staff at the on the our 25 years later Slack chat that we've been yeah. having um, is that is, is there a possibility that uh, if Doppel Cooper did father Richard Horn, mm-hmm. Did that somehow trap Audrey in a lodge state and she's mm-hmm. been there for 25 years, um, whether she's entirely physically there or just mentally there and that's contributing mm-hmm. to the coma, um, which again li- links Cooper and Audrey in a way yeah. that I'm surprised at. But um, if that's the case, if if she did get trapped there, why not trap her in the 1940s mm-hmm. in, in some place where the atomic bomb is always happening yeah, yeah. or something yeah. looping over and over again. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Yeah. It could be that this is the conversation she has every, every day who and knows, she doesn't remember. Right? And it's, yeah. And it's, I could see Lynch taking us somewhere Absolutely. crazy like that, you know, especially knowing what happened with, um, the way he was going to make Mulholland drive be a story of yes. Audrey going to Hollywood and seeing where that story ended up. I mean, obviously things changed in between in yeah, the 10 right, years, yeah, but, yeah. But still, like you look at Rita's story, and some of the lines are 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 eerily similar. Where Rita doesn't remember who she is, Audrey doesn't know who she is. Like mm-hmm. some of the things are are really, you yeah. know, it's There's it's impossible there. to view the return as anything other than this, you know, culmination of all of Lynch's works. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just that's just so beautiful. Um, and obviously, with with Mark Frost working on it as well, it's it's been such a treat yeah i just think you know how we we both turned to each other before this our second our rewatch of this episode and we were like can you believe we actually we're seeing this well, this is happening this <laughs> why is are we real. always so excited after the end of every episode even if we didn't so like true. the episode so much we're like giddy because because it's it happened Twin Peaks it's and 25 it's years later and it's gonna actually happen so it's happening right now yeah again yeah. it's very cool If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word. You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks. Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.